Welcome to the Runs From Podcast, episode 93. Hello, Rob Jones. Hello. You are sat in the gym in Dubai. I'm in the gym and you are sat in a hotel room in Estonia. Correct. Correct. Getting sore and sore by the minute. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm not too bad. I even went for a little run this morning. Oh, no, you didn't. Each time I sit down and stand back up, I'm like, oh, something new. A little shakeout recovery run. Uh, I Kind of, or a little run to stop myself getting a parking ticket, <laughs> you could say. <laughs> and tomorrow, we're, going, we're, go, we're back to Belgium today, but we're going um, mountain biking tomorrow. So nice. A nice little recovery ride as well. Hopefully, it's mainly downhill. <laughs> hopefully well you've got to get up to get down there that's the problem but true maybe they have ski lift chairs i don't know oh that'd be so good they have those in um where was i teens and they have that set up it's really really cool and they just change the the snowboard attachments on the outside for mountain bike attachments ah yeah that's smart very very good so if you've never been to teens you should you should go to teens there you go that's my plug for the alps we're now a travel advising podcast. <laughs> Good. Well, mate, today we have on Robbie Britton, mm. who, uh, this was a great show to record. It's, it is a pre-recorded um, interview, sorry to say, not live. But uh, when did we do this? Two weeks ago? Two weeks uh, this ago. This guy's got, he's, well, number one, he was hilarious. Yeah. He is an ultra endurance coach and athlete. And in his own words, he is a, de- a half-decent runner because he can run a 2.29 marathon, which is, I think, more than half-decent, to be honest. And he also managed to hit 261 kilometers in 24 hours. Yes. You were impressed with, I know that. I, I was impressed. And you know what? It was one of those conversations where we could have just kept going and going and going. It didn't yes. feel like a podcast. It felt more like three guys in the pub having a good chat. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, you only need one pint and we're all half cut. (laughs) It wouldn't be a very long, uh, coherent conversation anyway. (laughs) No, exactly. He is uh, also a precision hydration athlete who Mm -hmm. is today's show sponsor or partner. Um, And actually, I have a whole blurb that they give to me to read out, but I can do a real life uh, testimony for precision hydration today. You can. On Saturday, I raced Ironman Estonia and used precision hydration and precision fueling, their 30 gram um, carbohydrate gels and their energy mix. And, mate, I had energy for days. You were just talking to me, you were following my, uh, my splits as we went on. And you said, yes. as everyone was dropping, I was just perking up. And that is down to fueling 100%. So um, I was so happy. It's the first time I've used them in a race and was really, really impressed by it. I was using their, because um, I'm you know, still away for another week now traveling. I have their little sachets that you can fit really easily into your pocket or luggage or whatever. You know, sometimes those tubes or big bags of it is a bit annoying to travel with, but they have these like smaller sachets that mm-hmm. um, in electrolytes and they're so handy. You just grab like 15 of each. They do uh, 500, 1000 and 1500 milligram of sodium sachets and just take them with you anywhere open a bottle chuck them in and you're all good to go 
So Amazing. you can head over to precisionhydration.com and use code RUNSTRONG15 and you get 15% off your first order. Also in the show notes, and this is probably more of value than a discount code, is they have a quick carb calculator, which can tell you, well, can guide you on how many carbohydrates you might need for your event or training coming up. Very handy. Free online sweat tests, which you can put in some things about how you sweat when you work out and they can tell you what you need to be rehydrating with. Which is also handy. (laughs) Also handy. And with all of that, you can then book a free 20 minute hydration and fueling strategy video consultation directly with some of the sports scientists from Precision Hydration. And you can get, yeah, a ton of information in 20 minutes. How yeah, we've we've that? spoken to we've spoken to quite a lot of these guys and the amount of knowledge that they have is staggering around yeah. hydration. Yeah. They are athletes themselves and they also do a really, really good mailer. If you're not on their mailing list, you should be because every week they they just have one of the best mailers. I read it every time. Good information. Yeah. It's funny. Like they, they, I just love the way they write it. And yeah, if you want to listen to the, the founder of the company, Andy Blow, head back, listen to show 71. And he drops some brilliant information in there. Firstly, on how he got into founding the company, but also then the science behind why hydration and now fueling should be the first thing on your mind when you are going into races and, and doing some hard training. Definitely. Mate, we, well, we have a lot to talk about, but this interview wasn't short, so we should probably just get straight into it. Could do. I've got one update. I want to update you on one thing. Mm. It's okay. important. It's definitely important. A few weeks ago, I said that Steph's mum, Pauline, had joined the Start to Run program, and people have been messaging me because they said we should update, <laughs> give weekly updates on how she's doing. So <laughs> I'm pleased to announce that Pauline is now in week three of the Start yes. to Run. She had an eight-minute run with two minute, or with five minutes easy and eight-minute run again. She said she didn't need the five minutes recovery, so she cut it down to two. She's delighted. So we're still to get her on training peaks. This is the next step. So Steph is going to talk to her, try and get her on training peaks for the following weeks. But yeah, Pauline from Hitchin in Hertz, in her 60s, smashing start to run, loving life. Yes, Pauline. I hope she listens to the show. She does as well. So <laughs> Excellent. Big shout out to Pauline. There we go. Keep, That's all I have. <laughs> keep running. Keep giving us updates. This is my favorite new feature of the show. Hopefully she orders some precision hydration as well. So she is fully hydrated for all the upcoming sessions. I couldn't agree more. Great segue. <laughs> so guys, today today's guest is Robbie Britton. You can head to www.robbiebritton.co.uk. He's coming out with a book and that is going to be on v-publishing.co.uk. Um, what's it called? A thousand and one running tips, isn't it? A thousand and one running tips. Yeah. It's a, what did you call it? A toilet read or something. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. One from the toilet. And all the links for his stuff and all the links for precision hydration are in our show notes. So wherever you listen to your podcast, head into the show notes section and you can get all of those from there. If you need anything more specific or in detail, just give us an email endurance at innerfight.com to follow all of Rob Jones socials, head to Rob Jones endurance on instagram and for me go to tom walker fitness on instagram as well at the moment it's full of travel sort of pictures and race reports which isn't much that interesting to many yours mate is all about preparing for jordan mm, that's happening pretty cool 
I'm going to grill you on that next week, I've decided. Oh, good. Yes. So be ready for that one. Next week's show will be how Rob Jones is training for Jordan Ultra X. Actually, That's I think... It. Go on. It's good. We're going to be a few... You've done it once before, and I think a few people are quite interested in it. So I think it would, be, would, would make a very good show. Mm. Actually, people can still sign up. We do have a code, and I know registrations are closed, but we have the, the WASTA, as they say. So if somebody is fairly conditioned and is ready to run 250k in seven weeks then get in touch and we can get you in and you can join us you could sleep in the same tent as us wow is that the selling point (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if that's maybe that'll put more people off Mm, not sure about that anyway we'll hear more about that next week for now though here is robbie Britton. i hope you enjoy the show have a good one here we go robbie better late than never Whoa, come on. Like I was five <laughs> minutes late and then you start the podcast slating me. Blimey. Straight in with the boot. Yeah. yeah you've obviously not done much research on us and how uh, how we work here in a fight, but we'll forgive you because you have made it on. Rob booked a guest the other week that just didn't show up. We had to talk. I can't remember what you even talked about for an hour, but yeah, we had to make something up. It went quite well, actually. <laughs> we had lots to say. Yeah. Robbie, just introduce yourself. Who are you? Where are you? And what do you do? I am a off-tardy running coach and athlete who specialises in ultra-distance sports. Is that succinct enough? I've done a little bit of a case for short on time now. Blimey. (laughs) That is definitely succinct enough. Actually, you had a a word on your website that I didn't know. So you've you've taught me something today without even knowing you did. I think I know which one that would be. Yeah, insouciant. Yeah. Wow. Word, isn't it? Where did you get that from? From a book about um, Eric Shipton and Bill Tillman, uh, two British explorers from the 30s, 40s. Uh, we didn't do much in the 40s for uh, obvious reasons, uh, and, uh, and the 50s. He was one of the part of the early expeditions to, um, to Everest in the 30s. And then he was supposed to lead the, the successful. 54 um, Everest one, but he was replaced by John Hunt towards the end. He was more, he liked the the, the, sh- the kind of smaller teams, more exploratory uh, expeditions. And obviously they felt that they needed a military siege uh, approach to uh, to bring, and they brought Sir John Hunt in to replace um, Eric Shipton. So yeah, they're insouciant ra- ragamuffins. Brilliant. I was like, what does that mean? Straight onto Google. I was like, it's a word I feel like I should know. It's a good word. It's a good word, good isn't word. it? Start yeah. out a little bit. Let's try and bring it back every now and again. Let's do it. Let's start it here. The Insouciant Podcast. <laughs> Done. Mate, I think that's a good place to start. You've obviously just mentioned some explorers there. You have done some pretty cool stuff yourself. Um, you have run, am I right, from saying north to south of Iceland? Yes. Yep. You've run the mountain range of Bulgaria. Yeah. And you have set a FKT on the Jordan Trail, which was 650 kilometers. Yeah, and has since been beaten by Amy Sproston of the US, so I no longer hold that. Ah, so you're booking another trip, or? Nah, God no. It's just a holiday, wasn't it? Why would you go back and run the same 650 kilometers a desert? It was lovely to see a country, but yeah. I suppose it shows my um, what we were hoping to get out of the trip was uh, less about setting records and more about doing something we love with people we we love and uh, and just seeing a country so i just i had chatted to amy wish you all the best and said yeah you you could definitely beat that and uh 
I'm glad that someone else has it now. Brilliant. <laughs> what have you? Were you an explorer first, adventurer first, or a runner first? I was a, a football playing uh, drinker first, uh, and then I am um, football, rugby, American football, anything, and. Um, Started running back in 2009. Did a, mar- a couple of marathons in two weeks to, to raise. I was raising money for Diabetes UK at the time, and um, from there just started running more. But at the same time, I my background is um, geography. I, I, t- I taught geography in the outdoors, so I was combining that with uh, doing some some youth kind of expedition stuff in in slightly further afield. So I, I spent a year volunteering with the uh, the British Exploring Society at the Royal Geographical Society. A lot of societies there. Yeah, a lot of societies. And uh, like taking youths into the outdoors, we went, I spent six weeks in Northern Norway. So uh, I actually remember a time actually when I was I was talking to a, a, uh, a, a dog sledder up in like North America way. And he said, like, I was inquiring to be part of his um, apprenticeship. And uh, he's basically, you've got to choose this running or like the, the exploring stuff, like one or the other. And I think he was hoping it would make me more dedicated towards exploring. And I, I uh, this was maybe 2012, 2013, and I decided to focus more on the running. So the, they, they kind of develop concurrently. Um, I've always been fascinated by the, the outdoors and exploring. And I'm a city kid, though, so exploring meant running around a local woods that was about 500 metres squared and setting things alight. Um, that was... a uh, that was our exploring as youths, but um, yeah. I'm gonna say you sound a bit more city, city kid than countryside. <laughs> yeah, I still get amazed at every animal I see. Like uh, we used to teach the kids from London, and they go, "Oh my god, there's a sheep!" And I'd be like in my head, there'd be a little Londoner saying, "Yeah, yeah, man, there's a sheep. How cool's that?" I saw a massive caterpillar the other day, and uh, I was leaving a voice note to an athlete, and he just got a massive description of a caterpillar instead of the session he was after. It's massive though; it was like three inches long, just going across the road. Yellow, brilliant. Don't get that in the city. How, how did you decide then to go from <clears throat> from that into to performance and endurance coaching? Well, I was, I've always, I, I coached um, football from a very early age. From I think it was about 12, 13 when I was coaching the, the Littlands. Um, and I've always been involved with coaching and in the geography uh, side of things. I was teaching in the outdoors and I, I see myself, see myself as an educator, sound like a right Wally. Um, but coaching education for me, it's, that's what it is. And it, it, maybe it's a, I'd love to say that I picked these, these things that I wanted to do and I worked at it, but I think a little bit was, I'm okay at those things. I'm good at getting a message across to 30 um, ruly, unruly GCSE kids about a river whilst they're all kind of splashing around in wellies, similar, trying to get adults to, to run less long runs and uh, not smash themselves in every interval session. And I, the running stuff as well, I went, I found I was quite good the longer I went. Um, it comes into genetics, comes into upbringing and all kinds of things. And, and yeah, I just, I, I found my niche, I like to think. I, I, I moved around different, different jobs and found something I was good at and, and loved doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then, yeah, from that point onwards, I've just worked on getting better or trying to improve uh, what, I, what I do. Amazing. Can you remember when you started to think, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this running thing or I'm enjoying this running thing? Because you've got some quite impressive times. You've got a 229 marathon and you did, was it 261K in, in 24 hours? Yeah, that was a highlight. Um, both of them were good, actually. 
The I, like, my first race I won running was the North Downs way back in. Woo, I want to say twenty eleven, maybe. I was just going longer and just trying to challenge myself. And uh, that race, I was fifth at halfway at fifty miles, and I was maybe like five minutes off a, a negative split for the second fifty miles, and I just overtook every. Like, I was overtook everyone, and uh, yeah, just that was a, a good moment. Kind of thought I'd take it a bit more seriously, and it was the next year I got selected to run for England for the first time for twenty four hours, and then kept banging that drum. Um, I was still doing a bit of the explorer, like the logistics for expeditions and stuff that year as well. And then, uh, yeah, that, the, uh, the previous world champ for GB, I ran 239k and we come into the one in Turin, which is not quite close to where we live now. I, I wasn't one of the favorites. I wasn't one of the, the starlets of the GB team. I was the youngster. I'm, I'm still, regards 24 hour running, I'm still younger than most of the people that do it. And at the time I was a lot younger and, it was a very big leap in performance. I, I think I ran 22 kilometers further than before. Um, and we weren't expecting me to do as well as that. I, I, I got a bronze medal, but more importantly, um, we got a gold medal for the team, for, for, for British, the British team. And that was just a really wonderful experience is what we went in there. To, we wanted to achieve uh, something as a group. And um, it was in the latter stages, we kind of filled it was me, uh, Paddy Robbins and Steve Hollyoak, who were having, we were the three that were kind of probably like we were the we were the backups. We were the like you need three scorers. One of us was probably going to chip in a third score, and we all three of us had an absolute blinding race, well above our own expectations. And um, and we yeah we we ended up getting a seventeen k ahead of the of the second place team, so we're comfortably. Um, so yeah, that was probably what I thought I might be a little bit better, but I mean it's all. It's all relative, isn't it? Like, I'm all right. 220 marathons, all right. But uh, it's like 261 for 24 hours is all right. There's plenty more to improve. Um, the world record's over 300k. I'm similar. I'm probably equidistant in terms of like relative terms to the marathon world record. So it's a uh, there's yeah. I think I'm just I found a sport that's kind of niche enough to to do to do too well at and uh, something I enjoy, which is just. I think it's the most important part of it, isn't it? If you, if you enjoy doing it and then you can, it's easier to put the time in to try and get better. Yeah. I, I, I know people will be sitting there listening to this going, how on earth do you qualify for Team GB in a 24-hour event? I'll send you the selection policy. We help. <laughs> um, it, it very, it's reasonably objective in terms of you have to run a, depending if it's a Europeans or a world, there are different um, standards for team and individual. Uh, right now, I believe the men's team standard is, in the, is 2.30 for the Europeans next year. It's been announced in Verona. And the women's is, I want to say, 2.15. I'm not 100% certain on that. So please don't quote me. The selection policy for next year is not out yet. Um, it, so the, the first step is to try a 24-hour race. If you mm. want to qualify for Great Britain um, for the 24-hour team, get out, try a 24-hour race. Focus not on a distance. Focus on running and moving for the entire time, on eating well, on drinking well, smiling as much as you can. Um, sometimes it's like an ironic smile or a grimace at times, but just getting through it. And um, yeah, so my for that, like if you are interested in qualifying for the 24s, it took me four attempts to get it right. Back then, the, the standard 
of athlete was lower. The standard to qualify was 230. Um, but our athletes have all moved on a little bit. Um, I'm part of the management at the moment, so I'm not I'm not running for the team. I'm I'm supporting the athletes that are. And uh, it took me four to around two 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 point five, two oh nine, which was a uh, was at the time a personal worst, and then two thirty two in Barcelona. Um, went out there to, to, to do that, and I qualified for Great Britain um, with that. So even then, it took me three attempts, and that was on the back of maybe if you get the point, I might have done ten plus hundred milers. So I had a reasonable amount of experience. Um, so yeah, go out and try it. Is the simple answer. We had a we did a twelve hour event <clears throat> at one of the sports city, cool. just four hundred meter tracks, just around just up the road from where we were, and we got a good group of people that just come and move for twelve hours, and it was anywhere people were going anywhere from fifty k up to hundred and twenty k. It was it was great fun, absolutely brilliant fun. That's it, and you just got to try it. And then there's always every the, the wonderful thing about twenty four hour racing is you very rarely have the perfect day. There's yeah. always something you can take on, you can improve. And it's not like with a marathon or like the 5K to short distances, it very much comes down to how your training goes, right? And and like the, the aspects beforehand. Where, and what you do on the day, yeah, you can pace it badly. Plenty of marathoners are lost. Marathon PBs are lost in the first 5, 10, 15 miles. But actually your potential and for the day is determined, determined beforehand. Whereas in the 24-hour race, it still comes down to how you perform with the day. So your, your fitness at the start, yeah, it still signifies your potential, but it's a much bigger range of what your results are going to be determined by uh, how you perform and how, how stubborn you are. And how, yeah, how you manage all the, the things that will just crop up on the day. You know, if you have a five minute toilet break that you didn't expect, how are you going to deal with that? Five minutes, you taking a paper in there? What are you doing? <laughs> I actually, there's a really nice, there's a, was it a stoic saying? The obstacle is the way, right? And, um, when I ran, when I won the bronze medal um, in Turin, I did have the. I, was gonna say, I don't know what's your rules on swearing. Am I, can I slip the odds? Go for it. Do what you want. You got the shits in a twenty-four hour race, right? So I had it six hours in, and it, I, I ended up having to slow down a little bit and let the sun go down, and I just calmed down. I chatted with a member of the German team, Oliver Lou, who's a, he's a lovely chap, and then we chilled out, and then I ended up having the best race of my life. And the idea, like the obstacle is the way. It's whatever happens, right? So now I'm like. That's down your your path to your best performance. So I like I always try and find the positives, right? So like your, your five minute toilet break, it's a time to collect your thoughts. It's a time to stretch your quadriceps in a way they haven't been stretched. It's a time to lower your core temperature a little bit and to come out without the pressure of performance because in your mind you've kind of taken that off yourself because you've had a five minute poo. Um, mm, two and, two kilos lighter. Yeah, a little bit lighter. <laughs> um, you're you're refocused on your hydration because you know you're a bit dehydrated from that. Uh, and yeah, there's all kinds of benefits from that situation that has then led to me. I, I finished that race. I think it was a 323 final marathon. So I was running again, relatively like it wasn't sprinting, but it, if you, you ever want to feel good, go run around in the last few hours of a 24 hour race. Cause you can, you can drop some eight minute miles and it feels like you're flying because everyone's just kippered. Um, so yeah, like that really kind of the obstacle is the way, especially 24 hour, any ultra running it's not just about what happens. It's how you react to it and how you adapt going forward. A little bit on the training for that, because you're, you're an ultra endurance coach. Where do you see some of the biggest mistakes within ultra endurance training? And we've got, um, I guess, so like one of the biggest ones is you see people as they go up in distance, they go up in training volume. 
Um, but if you use that, like you look at someone like Samo Farah using 120, 140 miles a week to train for the 10K. Well, what, how many miles would he do for 24 hour running? Um, it's not necessarily, it's more about doing the miles or the, the volume of training. So I, I do things within, within time um, that you can sustain uh, and that's going to make you fitter. And that's just one element of your training. So rather than focusing on need to do more miles to run longer, just focus on where am I, where am I at and where, I, where do I want to be? And yeah, one aspect is if you are jumping up in distances too quickly, which we do see a lot of people, they've done the 50, the 50K, they want to do a 50 mile, they've done a 50 mile, they want to do a 100 mile, and they just go bang, bang, bang. And it might be the course of 18 months so they've stepped up and you, you can't build up your training sufficiently in that time. You can get through it, but then maybe later down the line, you end up with a few more injuries and niggles that you can, or you don't do as well as you hoped. Um, so yeah, we see a lot of people just doing, just doing miles for the sake of miles. Like again, you look in terms of performance, I, I like the Steven Seiler polarized approach where 80% or even even more of your training is, is, is low, kind of low intensity. And then you've got your 20% of a slightly more high intensity. Um, finding, making sure you can feel the difference between those two is obviously important. But in that, in the study that initially referenced, like that was the difference between recreational and sub-elite athletes. So they're just, this, the recreational, just everything was in the middle. So when everything's in the middle, you can't do more. Because I think the volume is, the difference between the sub-elite and the elite was, was volume, right? And obviously other factors come into it. Um, but I think your ability to increase volume does increase performance to an extent. It's not as simple as do more, go faster. There's plenty of people who are doing, I've seen 150 mile weeks and they can barely walk down the shops, let alone run a marathon well. Um, but you, it's kind of appreciating that it does, it is a factor and it is a factor that, that like correlates with performance, but it's not just as simple as do more of it. It's kind of, are you doing your easy running easy enough that you can sustain slightly higher volume, that you can actually do the sessions. And again, the other, like I'm trying to squeeze as much advice into one answer as possible. The sessions that as you get closer to your event become more specific to the, the demands of that event. Um, be it 10k, be it an obstacle race, be it a bike endurance race, as you get closer towards that event. And I think a mistake we see with the 24 hours is that people take that too far. And the closer they get to 24 hours, the more they do running at just 24 hour pace. And it, it goes beyond like every other up to that, even 100 mile, like, like 100k, your race pace is still a decent aerobic effort, right? You're still kind of, it's still a benefit to you. Whereas 24 hour pace is generally just your easy recovery pace. I mean, you're like 240K, which is would put you in a, like as a female in the top 20 in the world, as a, as a male in with a chance of being within our, our squad, um, that's what, it's 10K an hour. So it's like, it's not, it's not fast. If you did all your training at that specific pace, you'd get comfortable with that, but you would then lose the, the fitness side of things. You, your, your fitness wouldn't be as beneficial. So it's kind of, yeah. Doing enough volume that you can sustain, um, that's good, the right volume for you, not just more, but doing the right amount of volume, making sure that the closer you get to the event, you, you get a specific, you do some specific training um, and uh, don't overcook it. Better to turn up a little bit undercooked than overcooked. Yeah, fully agree with that one. And then how much um, do you put down to, obviously mindset is a factor and I'm going to ask you some questions on that in a minute, but in terms of your kit, uh, obviously knowing the, the route and things, what do you see within the athletes that you're coaching? Again, 
the biggest mistakes or the things that that people who do well do really well i mean if you're getting lost on a 400 meter track then you've got bigger issues my friend <laughs> um, <laughs> signs obviously that uh, maybe there's not enough sugar or carbohydrates going in uh the yeah kit wise as well like it, it's just testing stuff beforehand it's just making sure comfort is more important than lightweight it's more important than fancy gadgets it's kind of if you try and continue running after 12 hours, if your butt cheeks have chafed in the middle, you're just not as efficient as you might want to be or hope to be. Or um, so, and like same with blisters and the feet and under the armpits and the nipples. Like, like it might not stop you, but it will stop you achieving your your best results. Um, so making sure the kit you use is is fit for the task, you're comfortable in it, and as much as you can, try and experiment with it in in a in those environments and then you get onto the nutrition side of things a huge part of 24 hour running and ultras and marathon i think we've, we're kind of seeing these days now one of the bigger changes in the recent years has been some of the the drinks that provide like 70 80 grams of carbohydrates um in a bottle uh, and that's helped a lot of people was before they just weren't getting enough carbohydrates on um so yeah, you see a lot of that so making sure you practice with your nutrition um find out what works for you just think about it people say to me like how much should i be taking on my response is well how much are you taking on now and are you seeing success with that are you seeing uh, yourself fading off in the second half it depends if you're male female the environment you're racing in a lot of the research is done solely on fellas so if you are a female athlete uh, just accepting that maybe not the the, the top end amounts are right for you but they might be like it's not saying like you just like only men can have this many carbs um but uh, as like gen generally female athletes are much better at utilizing like um stored body fats uh, if you're a higher intensity than men's so it's a genetic benefit it's why we see some um some stronger performances over the longer distances so again like it's, it's kind of accepting it's trying to find the right nutrition for you for and parts of like i finished um a performance coaching masters with sterling a couple of years ago and I'm now 18 months through a postgrad diploma in sports nutrition because I think that's the next most important part. So before it was more mindset and coach, like the the the, the educator, the how to coach, and this is now like just kind of backing up the nutrition side of things. It's such a huge factor. So many people don't eat enough, and it comes down to a lot. Like, okay, why didn't you eat enough? Or you were going too fast, or you were going too hard in the heat, or you just uh, mindset comes into eating. If we put, you see how many people like like the last kind of stage of a marathon or an ultra, like driving their foot forward. Every step is like a battle. And they put this massive energy, this psychological energy into that. Had they put a similar psychological amount of effort into eating a sandwich about an hour beforehand, they wouldn't be dragging their feet like they were like going through cement. So it's kind of like having that mindset, that kind of never say die attitude. But it's not just about the running side of things. It's about the whole thing and it can actually make it a little bit easier to to run the final miles of a race if you put that energy into eating so on that then we tend to find uh, what i like well what i see a lot of is athletes they won't fuel their training whether it's their it's too early in the morning or maybe it's an hour an hour and 15 and they think they don't need it um and then they come to race day and they just haven't trained nutrition enough so how do you try and shift someone's mindset to fuel their training as well as the race. I really like the term, like the periodization of your nutrition. Um, so I guess it's kind of like, I try and uh, impart on an athlete the importance or the value of being fueled for the sessions you have. 
Um, so there is obviously so some of the people do fasted training because the, the, the idea being that it will help you um, improve your ability to utilize uh, stored body fat uh, during like different intensities. And it's kind of, it's always a percentage up to like a higher intensity where you do burning solid carbs, slightly lower. Say you're at like a your 100 mile race effort, you're probably sitting somewhere 50-50 where you, 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 you're getting that energy from either. Um, but the gains to be made in terms of like you're looking at minimal, minimal gains to maybe improve that. Whereas if you actually get consistent, decent quality training, week on week, month on month, with like talking maximal gains, right? That's the big stuff. So actually, yeah, oh, one person, they've done all their runs fasted. They're tired throughout the day. They're not recovering well. The next day, they're not running as well in that session. The next day, they're more likely to pick up a bit of an injury or an illness because they're underfueled. Um, and I mean, this is that I'll get onto like actual training of the gut afterwards as well. Um, but that if it impacts you and you're not necessarily fueling for that session you're doing, but you're fueling for afterwards as well. And so there's a really good study from some Spanish, um, Spanish uh, nutritionists and they looked at they had a bunch of male Spanish internationals in a six hour mountain race. And they, they, they had them taking on 60, 90 and 120 grams of carbohydrates an hour. Um, but they didn't measure performance as the as the outcome. It was muscle damage. And they looked at muscle damage markers and within the 120 grams muscle damage markers than the 90 and the 60. So to me, that's okay. That's what they wanted to measure to see if it was working and pro getting processed. But also, yeah, if you're not fueling enough, then you're going to have more damage to your muscles. Like your body's not got the fuel it needs. So it looks elsewhere. It breaks down more like the stores it's got in the body. And yeah, it'd be great if that solely come from our fat stores, but it's not, is it? It's going to come from other parts of the body. Um, I say that like it feels like I don't actually know where does it come from? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I came into the nutrition from a, my, like, my only nutrition before this was uh, archaeology. I did geography and archaeology, and we looked at what people ate 2,000 years ago. <laughs> it remains. Uh, so it's not, not as scientific. But the, um, yeah. And that study also showed that the, the, in the week, two weeks beforehand, they trained the gut. So the other benefit to, to, to eating within your training, and I'm not just talking the long run or the easy runs, I, I'll get people to smash some gels down um, during the tempo or like, the, like a threshold effort. Because if you can eat, even as an ultra, if you can eat at that time when it's, oh, don't, don't fancy eating like then. Yeah, you don't fancy eating at hour 16. You still got to do it. So how can we train ourselves? Oh, okay, you train your body to take it on in a, a more stressed situation, but also your mind to kind of, okay, can I eat this whilst I'm running like as fast as I can? You chuck them in during some intervals, go around the track, and then you'd be like, what's this? It's only done four 400s, don't have a four to go, and this guy's eating a gel. Because if you can eat a gel then, then you can eat a gel at mile, mile 21 of your marathon. And it might, it's not going to help in the 400s, but it might be less kippered afterwards. Yeah. Well, you also get a small focus benefit as well, don't you, when your mind likes to have have sugar on like that and like you say if you think you're not most thing i see is people i didn't eat because i wasn't hungry mm. but you're kind of you've gone you're a bit too late then when you do need it when you then yeah. become hungry but then you've you've gone past the point of when you should have had it and what's hunger right what's hunger mm. to you to three of us we might have it might be a totally different sensation to all three of us i look in the fridge like 15 times an hour I'm not hungry, but like that might, I might say to someone else, I'm hungry because I'm, that's what I, because I, I want to eat. Yeah. I'm not looking in there because I'm hungry, but I'm, I'm wanna, I want to eat. So I'm looking in the fridge, but like, like it's not hunger. So it's hunger is a different thing. Same with like drink to first and stuff. It's, 
it's, it's a different sensation to different people in different environments. And yeah, like we've all got different levels of what's acceptable to feel as a hunger. Like uh, you have one individual where they wait until their belly is rumbling before they decide they're hungry. Or another is like, oh God, yeah, I haven't eaten for a few hours. I must be hungry. I'll eat something. Which one's, which one's right? I don't know. Good points. Mate, today's show is partnered with Precision Hydration. You're a Precision Hydration athlete. How did you get to know them? And how does their product help you the most? How did I get to know them? That's a good question. I thought you might have a good story about no, passing out in Jordan and needing salts and suddenly... No, it's way before that. I think I've been... Like, I've chatted to Andy and Brad there like, for... <clears throat> must be five or six years now when they started out i was just kind of interested in all types of it um the sport um and i i've seen a lot of issues with like with um well hypo and hyponatremia within sport and uh, these guys answered the questions i had they chatted to them about um and yeah i've just had a, a working relationship with, with precision hydration for quite a few years now uh yeah it must be back at at least seven yeah six seven years ago um yeah. so yeah so i've just known i've always and I've, like, i find them very like a message andy and, and say like i don't really understand this or what do you think of that uh, and he'll come back with a nice considered response and he's always open to a discussion um i've said to them from the start like, i like my for me cramping isn't linked to um your electrolytes uh, it may be a tiny factor in it but it's not the main reason behind it but the hydration and and uh people like so again people stop eating in a race because they're nauseous Right? What's that? Early symptoms of hypo-hyponatremia. I think it's hilarious that the symptoms are identical depending like, for both situations. You're like, all oh, right, yeah, what do I do? I don't know, mate. It's one or the other, but like this one will kill you and this one will make you feel better. Just <laughs> the coin. Um, you're like, great. But like, again, it can be, it can come down to like, you can look at the environment you live in. You can look at well, if you are a heavy sweater. But again, even if you're a heavy sweater, your body might have adapted to have low sodium because it knows you're going to piss it all out or it might be actually well you just you're, you're a high sodium sweater and you're losing loads of it i've got athletes who are around the four five hundred milligrams a liter requirements i've got athletes who are over two thousand milligrams and can i tell them apart like well yeah one lives in a desert at altitude okay right that's that might be why his, his body's adapted but it could also be that his body was adapted there beforehand um so it's kind of yeah I, so i found it really useful and a really big um impact around performance because people stop eating because that situation you get is that liquid pooling in your stomach your body's just not it's not transferring through the the fuel and the, and the fluids you're taking on board because it's the wrong concentration so there's osmosis in the, the gut isn't happening um because yeah it's just so it just sits in there and i've had plenty of races in spartathlon back in 2013 i i messed up my electrolytes before i was, was young and slightly less misguided or more misguided i can't remember um and i just messed it up and from like 45 to 150 or miles i was just frying everything up just sat in my stomach i was continuing to eat hoping that in that short amount of time some of it would get through and then i was throwing up again um had i known it was just that i needed more electrolytes i just i just kept eating orange juice and pasta that was on the checkpoints neither was very salty so again like yeah so precision hydration i think it's just a really big it affects a lot of athletes um i i commend anyone who goes into the social media realms and talks about this because there are a lot of there are a lot of drink to first warriors that are they kind of they've, they've put their flag on that hill and they're going to die on it regardless it's just not that simple 
it's very individual. And for some people, drinking to first will fit their requirements because they they don't need much sodium. I said they don't need sodium, and they don't need much uh, uh, in terms of actual like fluids. Take that same person and put them in the desert. Drink to first might not work, right? Take a different individual, put them in the first situation. Drink to first doesn't work for them. Again, it comes down to psychology. What's what's first? I'm thirsty right now, but I'm not thirsty enough that I'm going to get up and interrupt the, the podcast to get a, in a race. Like if you're drink to first, right? Yeah, okay. I'm not at a checkpoint. How do I drink to first? Like all these little things kind of come into it that, that affect it. But to go online and discuss it with these the, the people that are kind of resolutely this way or the other, one or the other, it's just exhausting. So I just avoid the conversations and I gauge that you guys weren't two of those people. I'm hoping not. Maybe you might come out and like probably. <laughs> Tim Noakes is waterlogged at me in a second, but was trained by Tim Noakes. Yeah, no, I'm joking. <laughs> but no, no, I think it's you're... just never that simple, is it? It's just no. It's never anyone's got says it's one answer. Just yeah. I think that's another thing as well. Like people need to understand how individual they are, and so whenever mm. they do ask, you know, what should I do? At the end of the day, we don't necessarily know. No. <sighs> Like, like, what have you been trying? What works in your training? What doesn't work? What, have, you know, what have you done? How do you feel? And lots of people have lost their intuition into how they feel. Mm. They just have been told everything or they're watching other people do things and think that's how they should do something instead of understanding their own body. I think like, as well as a coach, people, you're a paid coach, professional coach, and they come to you and they want answers. And the most of the time for me, they get questions. They ask a question, they get a question back. But I think... To coach you, that's got how it's got to be your first approach. And there are situations where you can be quite confident that you can let them know. And as you get more experience, you, uh, what can I do differently about that race? Like I've not looked, but you probably should have paced better um, because you're a geezer and it's your first ultra, right? So that yeah, there's the chances that that yeah, you can make assumptions there. But again, even telling someone what to do doesn't necessarily help them because it's my I got I love it. As some people I can't mention names. Um, but you coach some people and they paid you to, to, to improve their running, right? So like, cool, yeah, you're going to make me faster. Cool, right. Paying the coach doesn't make you faster. Listening and working with the coach might, right? It might. It doesn't guarantee it, but you just, like, you say, I'm going to continue doing what I did previously and I'd like to be faster. Um, can you can you facilitate this? But yeah, well, not not probably not legally, mate, but yeah, I mean, I can tell you to buy some fancy Nike shoes or, or ASICs or the ASIC, yeah, and that's the, that's a coach's wet dream at the moment. What have you got? How do you improve someone's marathon time? I just send them the sports shoes and tell them to get some carbon in their feet. <laughs> Brilliant. It's just like being a cycling coach. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just to buy a more expensive bike. Yeah, you're right, mate. You're right. Mate, you've, uh, you've written a book. It's not out yet, but you've written a book called A Thousand and One running tips i think he's done about 20 to 30 already so a spoiler yeah. alert can you share tip number one? Oh, what was it By... i think it was along the lines i've got it written somewhere but there's definitely it's either number one there's it's around there's like basically everything's really individual so it, take it, it should be tip number one carry on reading the book yeah it might it says that it's probably more like faux humble like this book is not a real textbook it's just uh it's a science to read on a bulk and maybe improve your running, um, something like that. But I think it's around individuality and just kind of like everything in here might or may not work for you. If you want to, it might, oh, what was it? And if you want to get better at running, just put the book down and go out for a run, um, potentially, something like that. Sounds so like it's, written, it's written with your bit of sense of humour and, and the way you yeah. 
it wasn't just the, the fountain of knowledge that I am that they want they wanted to I, I, I use the attitude that good advice doesn't have to be boring you try and pick up like I, I mean I used um law of running by Mr Dr Noakes or Professor Noakes whatever I don't know if he's lost that title yet um but like uh I got that book right have I used it other than as a doorstop Hell no, right? It's massive. What do you start on that? Yeah, I started. People, if someone says to you, know, I read the running. Yeah, start to finish. Brilliant. Oh, really? Did you? Well, you're just like a robot. You just like ate each page. It doesn't doesn't work like that. You just got to be interested. Like information is is only useful if you. I mean, yeah, yeah. And you can. I have read sections of Law of Running. I'd be lying if I said large sections. Um, I've used this as references, but I wanted a book that could be used as a reference because it's got sections about loads of different, and it covers from starting out doing the 5k to trying to run across the country um, with your mates and all that kind of stuff. We cover sleep deprivation, nutrition to a, to the extent that I'm not a registered dietitian. So I, I try to, to focus on the areas that I can focus on. Uh, it covers training for loads of different ones, but it doesn't have training plans. It's just, it's, it's there to try and help you make better decisions rather than make decisions for you. That's how I, maybe it's a bit too complicated for a fact. It's just got a thousand one running tips, mate. Some of them have got to be good, right? It's just like, just scattergun approach. Here's a load of tips. Some of them are going to work. That, am, am I doing if a people good? want to get the book, when, when is it out? How can they get it? And who do they write their complaint letter to? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come catch me if you want to complain. Um, <laughs> the, Sorry, he only runs in 400 meter circles anyway, so you're going to get him eventually. <laughs> the, um, it's Vertebrate uh, Publishing. So it's, they, they specialize in climbing outdoor ones, uh, outdoor books. So, Check them out. You can go directly to the publisher. It will be available in other places, but I'll make about 50p more if you get it off the publisher. So um, it's worth note. But yeah, and then they have some really good books on that. Actually, like a friend of mine, Ali Bevan, wrote a book called Broken, which looked at a lot of the FKTs that were broken last summer. Um, so that's a like, cracking read. And they have some really, really good uh, older mountaineering books that have gone out of print. I think they bought a lot of them. So like the, the likes of Doug Scott and, 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 and those guys that are just kind of there. Yeah. The, the the ones right the finders yeah i'm reading right. about like, the early the kind of where where who's starting the climbing and it's looking at there's these like these, these tribes in africa and certain parts of america where they built kind of really high up caves or they use the caves to hide their grain and to hide their to put their dead and they just couldn't figure out the archaeologists can't figure out how they got up there and they're like potentially some of the early like proper it's like nails climbing and everyone else like, yeah, we're doing this. We've got these ropes and we're fancy. And it's like a geezer in, like, just barefoot climbing up a sheer rock face, doing it two and a half thousand years ago. Early, wow. so maybe they're better than. Uh, I mean, Doug Scott crawled off the ogre with two broken ankles, right? If you want to learn yeah. about endurance and perseverance, that man is nailed. I've actually just made the mistake of going on their website and started looking through their books. Your so, books, there, man. I'm, I'm trying to think. I don't want to recommend the wrong ones, but. Like one, there's some really good mountaineering books, stuff like, um, uh, what was it? Oh, I can't remember the author's name. It's called One Day as a Tiger by Alex McIntyre. Um, and he, he was like a guy, part of the generation that started taking the real, real alpine stuff. The Shipton and Tillman took the alpine climbing to the Himalaya, like, and they were like way before their time. And the kit improved, the techniques improved. Then you got like Alex McIntyre, along with um, uh, a really kind of solid. Polish and Russian kind of teams that started doing some absolutely insane shit in the, in, in the, in the greater ranges. They took the alpinism 
but um and then they went into the into the bigger hills and uh they made it work or they died most of them are dead um Wojtek Kurtkia the Polish guy he's still alive um that's probably uh, yeah Alex McIntyre was a he was killed by just a single rock Similar to, I guess, like you get these days you have the likes of uh, Udi Steck, who's again who's passed away, or what Killian Journey does with his mountaineer. It's very much in that style. They had, um, what do they call it, night naked. They climbed at night so they could carry less kit because they couldn't sleep at night because they'd freeze to death. So they just slept during the start of all parts of the day so they could carry less kit. Not night naked. Erhard Loratan, he's a, another dead guy, Swiss. Loads Nobody. Anybody alive in the books? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Kirkyo's alive. Doug Scott's still alive. He's less of that style. Actually, yeah, Boardman and Tasker, they're both dead. Um, <laughs> you've got to be good enough. You've got to be lucky enough to get good. Lucky enough, long enough to get good. That's why running so much safer. You can be terrible from the start and no one dies. Mountaineering, you've got to be lucky whilst you're bad until you're good and you still yeah. need a touch of luck. Yeah, amazing. They've also got... Damien Hall's in it for the long run book on there. Yeah. He was on the show a few episodes ago. So, mate, you're going to be in good company when you launch that book. He put, a, I had to Google a word he used in there because he used it to describe me. I think it was indignant or something. Um, <laughs> I don't think it was a compliment. So, I, I, wait, I'm going to change one of my tips to um, have a dig at Damo and if I can. I think it might be too late, but. Uh, what does it mean? Indignant. It just means complete knobhead. Um, something like I think, I think it's uh, argumentative for the sake of arguing, I believe. Uh, something like that. Uh, so, which I'm not. I just argue because I enjoy it. Researcher. Mate, we'll let you get on. I know you had a client call about an hour ago. He's waiting for you. Where do people go to find more about you or hear more of the stuff that you've done? You've got a couple of videos on your challenges stuff like that yes. give us plug yourself go have a look at dm2.media dave mac dave mcfarlane he, he made a video called lost dogs english englishman uh, about mine and dan lawson running around jordan and he also made a wonderful film about dan's uh, Le jog record last year dan's an athlete i coach who ran the length of um the uk in under 10 days um if you like the noise that i make uh, i am on social media at ultra at ultra britain um and uh, I have a website called fastrunning.com and sometimes I write stuff for there, but generally I just edit other people's work these days. Um, but yeah, I'm around. If you're, in, if you're in the kind of remote foothills of the, the Italian Alps, just drop me a bell. I think, mate, you're, you, you, are some, you need a podcast. Nah, we I'll do not need more middle-aging white geezers with podcasts, mate. <laughs> nah, friends. Like, but, nah. Like, nah, let's do it. You boys are doing a fine job. I'm, I think <laughs> I think you I'm do. not. I'm not claiming middle ageness yet. Yeah. I know I'm kind of being like early middle age, maybe. Like, it's just I mean, if we were in prehistoric times, we'd already be on our last legs. So I, I think you should make 1,001 running tips into a podcast. One tip every episode. Make them five minutes. You would have an absolute barnstormer of a show on your hands. There, right. people would listen in. <laughs> I'll stick to running and doing some more bike riding instead. Fine. I'll wait for you to launch the book, and then I will start that on my own. <laughs> over it's reading it out in a funny voice try and mimic your accent yeah um, <laughs> easy mate thank you so much thanks for coming on i will put all your links in our show notes so people can head over there and have a look and that's it when you do something cool let us know we'll get you back on and you can talk about it i'm a 
I'm cycling a 1300 kilometer around a loop around uh, Switzerland from That's Wednesday. Cool. On Wednesday. Yeah. Casual Wednesday. Just packing out. It might take more than just Wednesday, but. <laughs> Brilliant, mate. Well, we hope that all goes to plan. Can you cycle or are you just a runner? <laughs> you no, yeah, I finished a few. I won an ultra cycling race, a couple were. Uh, you said you did your research. Come on, boys. Have you not been on his Instagram? There's bikes everywhere, Tom. Come on. <laughs> I don't go to the Instagram. I go to the website. Last week. Last week. Instagram only tells me what you want me to see. Uh, why would the website be different? Because <laughs> it's what you've been asked to put on. I am. <laughs> Websites take more effort. <laughs> cool. Oh, yeah. No, so the bike stuff is cool. So if you do enjoy cycling a long way, maybe that's... 1,001 cycling tips on the way. It is different offer, though. <laughs> <laughs> can't wait good Robbie thank you so much we'll let you go cheers cheers bye thank wow people like that mate you're never sure quite how to end because they've already got the next thing that they want to come out with and someone like him it's so interesting you kind of don't want to interrupt it but yeah we were sort of hitting our time mark this is where we need like the Rogan three hour shows right I think someone like that would be yeah next level on Rogan because he can just talk and talk and talk even then he just chatted to us for another two minutes about his <laughs> cycling thing he had coming up so much energy I love people like that yeah it's you really can tell cool. this is this is like you can imagine what he'd be like in a running race if you get him on a good forum you just you'd feed off that and you just keep going right yeah yeah very cool and uh and I like the way sort of he approaches his coaching as well seems to um seems to make a lot of sense it's, Asking questions to questions is a very good way. I like that a lot. Mate, we are currently recording three weeks ahead, so we'll try not to mess up too much. Hopefully the world is still turning. The Olympics have happened. We won't predict any results. And uh, yeah, we'll leave it there, should we? So yes. we don't mess it up anymore. <laughs> if as soon as we keep talking, we're going to mess it up. So stop. <laughs> What I can say, though, is if you head to precisionhydration.com and use the code RUNSTRONG15, you will get 15% off your first order. That is of electrolytes plus their new precision fueling range. Yep. And if you head over to the podcast show notes on there, you can find their quick carb calculator, their free online sweat test. And if both of those, you do them and you're still a little bit confused, you can book a free 20-minute hydration and fueling strategy video consultation and as robbie said because the symptoms are the same of hypotremia and hypo hyper hypo it's either going to help you or it's going to kill you so it's probably good to know which one yeah it's probably going to help you most people over here are dehydrated <laughs> easy great that is episode 93 done the world is still turning we believe and we will be back next week with another show thanks for listening thank you